Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I love stories. And I love that Jesus used stories to teach and he taught through parables. Parables are such an interesting way of teaching because they lead us to wisdom instead of correct answers. There's not always a, a correct, proper answer. So they encourage us to stop and listen, to meditate and to view life, maybe from a different angle, which is what I hope we do this morning. It says in Matthew 13 that Jesus always spoke in illustrations like this. In fact, he never spoke without using them. And he did so so that he could explain hidden things since the creation of the world. So Jesus reveals hidden things. He reveals mystery. And for me, mystery isn't something that we can't know. It's actually something that we can know deeper and deeper and more and more. It's like an onion. Or for those Shrek fans, more like a parfait. Because everybody likes a parfait. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 20, 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a day's full wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friends, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So then those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. The traditional interpretation of this parable is quite beautiful. It speaks about the grace of God, something that we are all in need of something that you've named yourself after. It, it tells us that the landowner is God and that God continues to call us throughout the stages of our life, whether early in the morning, at midtime or in the evening. And when, no matter when we answer that call, we're given the reward of salvation. And we find great comfort in this, that, that it is never too late to follow God. It's never too late to start our work for the landowner great security, and beautiful truth. And it wasn't until I started reading this from a different perspective that I realized there's more than one truth present here and that God does speak to us wherever we're at, even if where we're at needs to change. See, when I read the story, I usually identify with the landowner way more than those workers. And yet the parable was given to people who would have only identified with workers those workers who went into the field to earn a very meager pay. See, the amount given to those workers was not enough to feed them and their families, just enough for them. And to be honest, as I've read this parable more and more, I'm not sure that this parable is meant to give comfort to those of us who identify with the landowner. 
but to comfort those who identify with the workers, those who are economically and socially pushed away. And what it should do for us who identify with a landowner is to challenge us, to convict us. Have you ever thought about that? Because I, con I connect with the wealthy landowner and I connect that to God. See, I, I am kind of a landowner. I own a house. Well, I own a little bit of a house. The bank owns the rest of it. And deep down, I want God to act like me because that means my actions and attitudes are justified. They're like God's. And it would mean that the way that I spend my money, the way that I treat those I'm overseeing, they would not be in need of repentance. And yet, I know that when I look at those things in my own life, they're desperately in need of a change in direction. And I don't know about you, but I tend to read all scripture this way. I, I find ways to justify my attitudes and actions so that I don't need to change, and in doing so, I don't follow Jesus. The parables and mysteries should lead us into this thought process. Am I reading this with willingness to change? Or am I just studying to justify those things that are not lasting, things that do not point to Jesus, things that affirm my own privilege? Now, the beautiful thing about the traditional interpretation is that our sense of fairness is shaken, and our sense of fairness desperately needs to be shaken. But who of us wants to be the person who worked all day in the heat, only to receive the same thing that a person worked for an hour in the cool of the evening? So I want to challenge you today to look at this with new eyes. From eyes looking up from the bottom, instead of those looking down. Or as the passage says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus is talking to a group of people who would have been really poor. In fact, they would have lived mouth or hand to mouth. They would have barely had enough to survive each day and nothing for emergencies. And most of us have experienced emergencies where we didn't think we had enough. Somehow we had enough but this was their daily existence. And so from this vantage point, a grumbling employee or the murmuring worker may simply be standing up for their family. Oh, I know that the worker agreed for the pay, which was barely enough for them, but not enough for their family. But did they have a choice? There was no other work. Could the landowner have simply been taking advantage of them Taking advantage of those in a desperate situation, you'll have to realize by now that I do not, I'm not interpreting this as the landowner being God. The translation that I read this morning says that he agreed to pay them the normal daily wage, but the Greek actually says that he agreed to pay the workers a denarius a day, a small amount. And most of the listeners would have been in the same situation as the workers in the parable. They would have, they would have been the last to be hired, the last to be chosen and they would have had to take whatever they were given, fair pay or not. Have you ever felt like you were the last to be chosen? How did, how did that feel? I remember I hated dodgeball because I was one of the last to be chosen. Who are the last to be chosen in the world today? Who are the last to be chosen in the church? Have you ever been desperate enough to accept a raw deal? 
I can imagine those people standing there. They were hoping that someone might come along to hire them, someone to choose them. And this was a constant practice. It was common up until recently when I think employment agencies popped up and that stopped the practice. In his book, The Politics of Jesus, Aubrey Hendricks describes a childhood experience that talks about this. He says, when I was nine years old, my father, a self-employed brick mason, began taking me to work with him during my school vacations, not only in the summer, but in the spring and winter too. Our work days always began with a stop at a particular corner in a poor section of town. Although we never arrived later than 6.15 a.m., 50 or more men in dusty work clothes would already be there, greasy brown bag lunches in hand. My father would call out, as would the drivers of the other trucks easing up to the curb, and an eager worker or two would scramble into our open truck bed to huddle against the morning chill as we sped down the highway. My father usually told the workers the wage he was willing to pay before we drove off, though sometimes he forgot until we'd arrived at the work site, which might be an hour and a half away. Yet I don't remember any worker ever asking what he'd be paid at the day's end. Each apparently trusted, or at least hoped, to be treated fairly. So this is how our listeners would have heard this. A rich man comes to offer work to you. You know that you're not worth much. That's why you're still standing there. So anything will do. Even though you agree, it's only because without it, your family will starve. This isn't agreement, it's desperation. How does this resonate with you? Are you offended? It's important for us to look at this passage in context, not only in the context of who was being spoken to in the time it was written at, but also where did the author place it? Right before we read this parable, Jesus has this encounter with a rich young ruler. I'm going to read the, that to you. It's from Matthew 19, 16 to 30, and I'm reading from the NLT. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked, and Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. 
So here we have Jesus telling us it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And he tells a rich man to sell all his possessions and give his money away. Then he launches into a story about a rich man, a rich man who holds on to his possessions and takes advantage of the poor. This is important. And I love Peter's reaction. He says, what will we get? And really, Peter is responding the exact same way as those workers who are called murmuring. Don't we all respond that way? What will we get? What do we get out of this? He watches the rich young man receive his reward here, even as the workers watch the landowner pay those who started work last. But unlike the landowner, Jesus tells Peter they would receive more than they had ever lost. The disciples are in exactly the same position as those workers. They have nothing. And no matter what their meager pay looks like, it is actually so much more than what they have given up. It's more than the possessions, more than the land, more than even family, which is hard to believe. Even, look, even though there, it looks like the pay at the end of the day isn't enough to survive on, let alone thrive, Jesus assures them that they will receive so much more things that are of lasting value, of eternal value. Jesus ends this interaction with the rich young man, and he says, but many who are greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. He also ends the parable of the landowner and the workers with a similar phrase, and it says, so those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. It seems to me that this whole section is teaching that encourages those who are at the bottom of wealth and power, but challenges those who are at the top of wealth and power about their attitudes of those things, especially how it relates to those who are vulnerable. Looking back at that rich young ruler, we see the inner struggle. Possibly we have it ourselves. I want to follow Jesus, but I have to give up my possessions and he can't do it. He walks away. I know for me that there are many things that I need to give up to follow Jesus. It seems like a list that's just ongoing. But for me, it's not possessions, it's my attitudes. It's the, those attitudes that I possess or that really possess me. Have you ever wondered why we call those things we own possessions? And then we go and call a demon entering a person a possession? It could be that language is just limited, but it could also be that if we're not careful, the things that we think we own or possess begin to possess us. They control our actions and our attitudes. And instead of us owning them, they begin to own us. The landowner doesn't worry about giving up his possessions, but turning a profit, and a profit at the expense of vulnerable workers. It's reasonable to think that it must have been harvest time. Why else would the landowner be going out again and again to pick up workers? He needed to get the harvest out of the field and into the barn so that it didn't spoil. And the landowner acts like me. He says something I often say. Can't I do what I want with what is mine? This sounds just like the rich young ruler who walks away from Jesus with what he believes to be his. He walks away because Jesus challenges him. Do you think you can do what you want with what you think you have? 
consider this attitude of the landowner to Jesus' attitude. And we hear about that in Philippians 2, 6-8. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. At first glance, the end of this story, the landowner justifies himself in his speech. Let me read it to you. He answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? When I hear this, I actually hear myself. I turn the tables on those who I've been unfair to. I call them friend and I appeal to the law over compassion. I blame them for accepting my raw deal. I say this is mine and I can do what I want with it. And who are you to challenge me? Get back in line or better yet, get out of here. And in the end, I justify my actions. When viewed from this angle, none of this looks, smells, feels, or acts like Jesus. If I read this landowner's response with a different emphasis, you can hear the contempt in it. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my own money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? When read this way, it's dripping with my own thoughts and actions and attitudes. My attitude of trying to justify taking advantage or lording things over others. I'm deeply disturbed by that. I'm challenged to change in so many ways in my thought life, in my finances. And yet, even if I'm disturbed, I'm <laughs> even though I am disturbed, I'm thankful that God has disturbed me. That God is using this in me to help me grow, to make me more compassionate, to let the things of this world simply th flow through my hands instead of allowing my possessions to become possessions. Here's why it's good for us to look at this with new eyes. There's a couple things. If we believe that the landowner is God and that God only gives his workers enough pay to barely survive, then we can be okay with paying employers lower than what they need to live. Or we can be okay with giving less than we should. And if we see the landowner as God and how he treats the person who questions his fairness, we too can cast out people who question our authority. If we miss the connecting teaching between the rich young ruler and the landowner, we might miss the teaching of possessions versus possessing, causing us to walk away from Jesus and causing us to walk away from the needs of others. We need to be shaken out of identities that are wrapped up in this world. For me, I've adopted attitudes around money and power and privilege. And for me, those things that do not, things that, those are things that do not lead to the kingdom of God. And worse, sometimes they point others away from the kingdom. This is why Jesus is so important for us. He shows us a way to be, how to exist in this world, at the same time pointing to an alternative reality, 
where loving God and others is the main thing, where money doesn't give more opportunity, where privilege is laid down and power is hung on a cross. I close with Jesus' words, but many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then.